First United Methodist Church, Heaper Springs, Arkansas. Today is February the 28th, 2016. Hear the scripture and the sermon. Today's scripture is Luke 13, verses 1 to 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse defenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bear fruits next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. What a beautiful day that you have made and given to us, Lord. Absolutely gorgeous. And to be able to gather with your people on this day, how special that is to all of us. We have prepared our hearts for this very hour. And now we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus made sure that the people around him, beginning with his disciples, understood that just because that they were sinners and Pilate mingled blood with their sacrifices and, and killed them, that, that they weren't worse sinners than anyone else. I don't know about you, but that gives me some comfort. He said, unless you do what? Repent. Jesus says, unless you repent, you know, you will perish as they did. Then he told about the Tower of Siloam that fell on, I guess, 18 or, or so folks and killed them. He asked him, do you think they were worse sinners than the other Jerusalem and Amadamas, uh, you know? And, and uh, he, he said, absolutely not, but unless you repent, you're going to perish just as they did. So when we, when we look and and we put scriptures in context, and we look at the world behind the text, the world of the text, and the world in front of the text as us, then we can begin to relate just a little bit when he gets to this fig tree business. You know, before, I was thinking about this, and talking with Charlize a while ago, my dad had planted a couple of pecan trees in the, in the backyard. You go out uh, our garage, and, and, and back there was pecan trees, and over there was my basketball go. And, and, they grew up and they were beautiful, beautiful pecan trees. Now, every time a wind would come by, I can remember this about pecan trees. The wind would blow, a limb would break off. 
well, go pick up a limb and chop it up, you know, and, and do whatever you do with, with limb. And I can remember having to do that and picking up around that, the, those trees. But my dad, by the way, one of them, it bared fruit, and another one, the other one did not. Isn't that odd? Same soil, uh, planted as close to, I don't know how, from here to that, I guess, to the, to the front door, uh, apart. But one bore fruit, and the other one didn't. And so Dad would, would wait year after year after year after year for this tree to bear fruit, and it wasn't that we needed the pecans. We didn't. We had enough pecans. That one tree produced enough pecans for, gosh, us and their neighbors and, and all that. So it wasn't like that we had to have that other pecan tree for any reason. But after several years of it not producing, and it grew to be a large, uh, a large tree, but it never did bear fruit. My father, looking back now, the word that I would use uh, for an old uh, farmer with an eighth grade education was, he was grieving over that tree. And I look back and I think about that because it never gave him any enjoyment. Finally, he was fed up. And only as an old farmer can do, oily farmer can do, he cranked up his pool in, he went out there and bye-bye Mr. No Fruit, pecan tree. He cut that dude down. He put up with it a lot longer than I would have, so I'll, I'll give him credit for that. We were all a little bit astonished. As a matter of fact, I can remember my mother being quite upset with Dad uh, for doing that. Because you see, it was a beautiful tree from, from the highway. Um, the highway was just right, right over here, and the trees and my house and basketball goal and everything. From, the, from the, the road, it looked good. It looked as good as the other tree did. I mean, it had the little leaves and nice shade and, and all that. You know, it made a great shade tree, but, but that's all that it was good for. My dad, he, he did plant another pecan tree, and it did produce uh, pretty close to the same spot. But anyway, a little bit shocked that Daddy did that. It took me a little while to understand my father's intolerance of a tree that didn't bear fruit. As a teenage, as I, as I grew up, as a teenage boy, I could have probably understood it better if it would have been a candy bar tree or an ice cream tree or a little bit later on, you know what kind of tree I'm talking about. Now I, I can understand his impatience. And we read these scriptures today. Jesus must have loved figs. He really must have loved figs. They were a staple in, in the Middle East. In, in that climate, I was reading an article this week, and, and I'm sure all of y'all know this, but I'm amazed. The, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know much. But, yeah, I know. In that climate, a fig tree can bear fruit 10 months out of the year. Do y'all know that? Anybody here know that? I knew you didn't either. But, but, but like many other fruit trees, the, the third year usually was when it began to bear fruit. And when it begins bearing fruit every year, it will begin producing fruit a lot of times before it even produces leaves. I know you didn't know that. What a goofy tree. And a fig tree of, of, of any size will be laden with, with fruit. I say that Jesus must have loved figs because, one, don't turn to Mark's gospel. You ain't going to hear this. It, it's, it's a whole different story. But in Matthew's gospel, and I did this on purpose, you can turn to the 21st chapter of Matthew, and Jesus was walking along, and from a distance, he could see a fig tree that was covered with leaves. He's like, oh, goody, goody, goody. Fig trees. Jesus approached the tree expecting to eat some of the fruit, only to find when he arrived, 
guess what? No figgies. No figs. No figs. Jesus was so upset with it that, that he cursed the tree and he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the tree withered. Withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they were pretty freaked out about it. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Well, the tree that had looked so promising from a distance, up close it turned out to be barren. And because it didn't fulfill what it was created for, the life of the tree was taken away. What's a fig tree supposed to do? Not bear bananas or oranges or apples. What's a fig tree supposed to do? Produce figs, thank you. The actions of Jesus on that road, I'm convinced, friends, were not motivated by, by his unfulfilled cravings for figs. No, I believe Jesus was teaching his followers a lesson. And the lesson is this, just as y'all answered just a moment ago. Fig trees are supposed to produce figs. That's what they're to do. If it doesn't fulfill its purpose, if a fig tree doesn't uh, produce figs, it's only taking up space and, and wasting valuable resources. And it'll be removed. Jesus said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the tree withered at once. You and I, the church, we're like fig trees. Each and every one of us. As Christian people, we've been redeemed, saved, rescued, liberated for a purpose. And that purpose is not just to use up the grace of God and take up space what God has created us for. We're supposed to bear fruit, make a return on God's investment of love and grace, each and every one of us. And if we only promise fruit, well, I'll, I'll produce fruit in the summer. When it's warm and I can go to the lake, there I'll produce fruit. Or in the, in the winter when, when football season starts or when basketball season starts. I'll, I'll produce food the next time a a Bible study comes up, or, or whatever. If we only promise fruit, if we only bear leaves, if we have all the trappings and indications of bearing fruit, but do not actually produce fruit, then we're in danger of being dug up out of the ground and cast into the fire. Jesus told this parable to reinforce this point. A fellow had a fig tree. Had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Every year for three years, he'd come to the tree and, and he expected to get figs. But every year, the tree bore no figs. He found the keeper of the garden of the vineyard and said, this tree is no good. Every year for three years I've come seeking fruit from it and I, and I haven't found any. It's no good. I'm tired of this barren tree. Cut it down. 
Get rid of it. Cut it down. Get it out of the way. It's not worth the space that it occupies. In fact, it's detracting from the rest of the vineyard. It's robbing the other plants of nutrients and space that they need for healthy growth. But here's the good news. But here is the good news. But the keeper of the vineyard said, Master, let it grow for one more year. Let's get another shot at it. Let it grow for one more year. I'll dig around it and put manure around it. And after one more year, we'll see. And if it bears fruit, then good. Then good. But if it doesn't, then cut it down. Then cut it down. Jesus' listeners, my dear, dear friends, Jesus' listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. Israel was, is, the vineyard of God. In the Psalms we read together in Psalm 80, Israel is referred to as the vine that God took from Egypt and planted in the promised land. Jesus was saying that this vineyard is not faithful. You see, God had called Israel, set them apart as a special people, not for special privilege, but God had set them apart to serve that all the families of the earth would be blessed for them to, to spread Yahweh's name all, to all people. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. But, but Jesus was saying that this vineyard is not fruitful. It's not fruitful. It's like a fig tree covered with leaves from a distance looking like that it has figs, but upon closer inspection. It's obvious. It doesn't have any figs. You see, the Hebrew people, Israel, their religion looks so promising on the outside. On the outside. I mean, they were so religious. Uh, they, had, they had this beautiful temple. Beautiful temple. And the many sacrifices and the rituals to prove their devotion. Read all about that this week in Leviticus. Exodus, Leviticus. To, to prove their devotion. But when you get up close, their faith was producing no fruit. No fruit. So, we can say it and we can say, how could they not have done that? God called them. God set them apart. The many acts, the many miracles, the many John's gospel, signs and wonders that Jesus did over and over and over again. Why didn't they get it? What was it that was keeping those folks from bearing fruit? Well, probably the better question for us today is what about us? What about us? Does this parable, Freddie read to us this morning, does this parable have anything to say to us today? What do y'all think? I don't think that we will escape unwounded today. Because when you think about the church in America, you, we, we, we cannot 
help but feel that we have been planted in the choicest spot in the vineyard of God. How can it get any better than we have it? Here in America, real persecution has, has been almost unknown among Christianity in our country. Our rights have not been denied yet. But what have we produced in the choice, in the choice spot of the vineyard? We have raised children, friends. We have raised our kiddos, our children, for the second generation who cannot tell, who cannot tell us the basic tenets of the Christian faith. That's a fact who cannot tell us the basic tenets of the Christian faith. That's sad. Whose morals and, and values are not at all distinguishable from our pagan counterparts. Whose lives are determined by convenience. Well, if it's convenient, I'll do this or I'll do that. And ruled by pleasure and have absolutely no connection with Jesus Christ. What are we doing? Well, you talking about not bearing fruit. Not only are we doing that, we're passing it along. I didn't hear an amen from anybody. Our own bishop, Wilkie, I meant to put him on the prayer list again a while ago. <clears throat> he lost his wife this past Friday. Bishop Wilkie did. I, I talked to him Saturday. Uh, he's the author of all the disciple Bible studies and everything. But anyway, Bishop Wilkie has likened the United Methodist Church to a barren fig tree in his book, And Are We Yet Alive? How many people have read that? Has UMW, anybody has never read that? I've read it. So anyway, in his chapter, Sick Unto Death, Bishop Wilkie describes our dying church by giving a dramatic statistics in the loss of 2 million members since 1968. It's more than that. His book is dated. His book is dated. But, but anyway, and the fact that our Sunday school attendance was cut in half. Get this, y'all. Our Sunday school attendance was cut in half. 50% from 1964 to 1984. In 20 years, one out of every two that were going to Sunday school stopped going. And he says that this is happening while our nation is hungering for spiritual sustenance. That there's a spiritual vacuum in our land that is demanding to be filled. And Bishop Wilkie warned at the end of the chapter that God may not need the vine called the United Methodism in America anymore. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Wilkie says that God can raise up other groups. Christ will sustain his church and all the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Understand that, my friends. The church is not going away. The church is not going away. But when we look at the Southern Baptist Convention today, when we look at the Episcopalians, when we look at the Lutherans, when we look at, at all different denominations, look what's happening. We had rather... We, we had rather have everyone come to church and, and, and not make disciples. I mean, we're more 
the church has been always been so much more on membership than disciples. I, 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 that has always made me cry. In these 26 years that I've been in the ordained ministry, that has always made me a little dizzy, to say the least. Uh, what are we doing? What are we doing? Churches that are proclaiming God's word, people that are on fire, people that, that are in the word of God, people that are lifting their voices to God, people that are leaving the building and going out and being the church, those are the churches that, that are growing. Those are the churches where it's happening. John Wesley said the sole reason God raised up Methodists, this sect called Methodists, was to reform the nation. Wesley never set out to start another denomination. I mean, that's all the world needs, another denomination. Thank God we can't split. But, but anyway, you know, to reform the nation and to spread scriptural holiness over the land. Scriptural holiness over the land. I don't know if we're doing that today. Some of us wouldn't know scriptural holiness if it bit us in the ear, foot, ear, okay. And the part of the universal church we call, we who are called Methodists, used to follow people wherever they went and to seek them out, making sure that the gospel was heard and, and, and the word of, of this righteous God was always present. And let me tell you who did it. It was the lay people. That's what made the United Methodist Church great to begin with. It was lay people doing it. To show you how to mess things up, get a bunch of preachers involved in it. Just saying. You know that's true. For years and years and years and years, I kept telling the conference, get these preachers off our insurance committee. Once we did, you saw what happened. Once we did. Then it was reformed, and it'll work this way, Jonathan. We can go get our own insurance. And it's not just that. It's on and on. It's lay people being empowered and equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a broken and fallen world. That's who we used to be. We used to be called shouting Methodists. Why would that be? Somebody would be slain in the spirit. Oh, my goodness, Tommy, you're getting radical. You know, it's not past appointment time. Not, not, not yet, you know. You're getting radical on it. Do you know that there was a time in this country, and it hasn't been long ago, it hasn't been long ago that there were more Methodists and, until 68, then United Methodists after 68, more Methodist local churches in America than there were post offices? Did y'all know that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was not a, a county or a parish in America that didn't have at least one Methodist church. Go, go try to figure that out today and see what you come up with. But our faithfulness has won. We, our, our priorities, our passion has changed. We're more interested in us than we are other people. We're more interested in I, 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 me, 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 me. Well, Tommy, that's what our society and culture has taught us. I ain't worried. I, I'm talking about God's word. What does the word say? What is Jesus calling me and you to be? I hope more than getting up and coming to church and working on a sermon and putting on a robe. I hope it's the more than that. 
the ax may be laying at the root. But these words are far more personal than just a reference to a denomination. They're addressed in Federal Express, I might add, to you and to me. Unfruitfulness is not allowed in God's vineyard. If you think it is, then go and see what Jesus said. Remember, I told you Matthew 29. I told you, you can look in Mark's gospel. Look for that too and you'll find it worded a little differently. The tree that looks like it's bearing fruit, but in fact it's only faking it by putting on a few leaves, that tree will be cut down. What have I said in the seven years that I have been with you folks? People can drive by this church on Sunday morning about any day of the week. Let, let, me, let me change that, especially on Sunday morning, but about any day of the week. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for many of the things that we're doing around here. And I'm telling you, we look good. Don't y'all think so? I mean, go out and look at the Denali's, the Maximas, and the BMWs, and, and whatever. I'm telling you, we're styling. We, we, we're looking good. You think God really cares about that? that? That's like somebody asked me, they say, do you pray before you go and play golf? And I said, God could care less. God could really care less. I know what my mama would say, put your golf clubs up and go visit somebody. That's what my mama would say. I'm not sure the Lord would say that, but mama would. That kind of unfaithfulness, unfruitfulness, is not allowed in God's vineyard. You and I were planted in the vineyard of God's grace to bear fruit. To bear fruit. To bear fruit. What do y'all think about that? I love you enough to tell you the truth. To bear fruit. And that fruit is to be tangible evidence of God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives. There should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all that stuff that the Bible talks about. That's one of the ways you can tell. And a fruitful tree will always make more <coughs> of itself. Excuse me. Jonathan talked to the kids this morning about a seed in the garden. Great example. But, but first the seed, and then the, the, the twig, and then finally another tree. So you and I also should be recreating another person who will live forever by introducing them to the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's reproducing ourselves. Raising up another Christian. They could be eight or 80. Loving people as you and I have been loved by Christ. If we'll do that, there's no way that we can be unfruitful. If we'll do that. If we'll do that. Yesterday could have been our last chance. A while ago could have been our last chance. But God is merciful. Jesus is like the vineyard keeper who pleads for one more chance. Let's give them one more chance. 
Jesus says that the vineyards he's replete, or he pleads for the opportunity to spread a, a lot of manure around the tree. That's what a lot of religious folks need done today. A lot of manure spread around them and on them. And then maybe next year, they'll bear fruit. But we live in the reality that today, this day, could be our last shot at it, could be our last chance. Our final warning concerning unfruitfulness. When we consider the season in Lent, as we consider our lives in Jesus Christ, what we as the church and each individual members of the church of the body of Christ have to ask ourselves, what kind of fruit am I producing? Am I just looking good on the outside? Am I just bearing leaves and no fruit? Or are we bearing fruit? that's truly worthy of repentance. Thanks be to God. Amen.